All right, guys, welcome to Property Profits Podcast. I'm your host, Bryce Kaminsky, stepping in for the fearless Dave Dubois. He's working on the next big thing. Today on the show, I've got a very special guest who's going to introduce us to the idea of an infinite plus return. You know, you're driving down the interstate and you're wondering who owns that mobile park. And you might be wondering, well, it's probably a slightly more complicated than actually who owns it, but actually who controls it. David Jesse, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Bryce. Thanks for having me on. Hey, man, no problem. I, I love to hear more tales of the uh, tales of the tape, especially when it comes to creative financing. So the main thing, you go to a networking event, you're shaking hands. People are like, how'd you get started in real estate? So let's let's open it. Let's break the ice. What got you into real estate? And ultimately, why did, how did you get addicted to it like the rest of us? Man, it went from one addiction to the next. So I was I was into crypto and I was pretty interested in cryptocurrency for several years. And it just got me into investing, researching, investing, understanding the hedge against the dollar and yeah. inflation and, and all of those aspects. And so that's when I started my journey. It was probably six, seven years ago. Um, you know, getting going from one asset class to the next. And I started rolling over some, you know, digital currency profits, some of my gains from trading and and short-term investing, scalping, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, took some profits and and put those into some real estate for some more stable long-term income. So just a, you know, a, a personal curiosity, are they letting you do an exchange on crypto into real estate? Like, are they letting so, you do a type, a same type exchange? And unless you, have yeah, to I, 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 I'm honestly, I'm not educated enough on the 1031 as, as far as uh, if that would be allowed. I would assume not because it's a different type of asset. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, but I'm, I'm not really sure. So me, I just paid the gains, took, took the capital, you know, put it down. Yeah. And, and so you've been moving from like asset class to asset class and, like most investors, they usually, you know, there's the saying that goes, all wealth is either held or made in real estate. And so you end up in real estate. What was your first venture into the real estate game? A flip, a buy and hold? What did it look like? So I got started like a lot of people with wholesaling. Yeah, I love uh, it. It, it. You know, it's a pretty cost effective way to get in the door uh, mm -hmm. to, to start and get um, a see some deals, get accustomed with deals, understanding some transactions, just yeah. it's it's the beginning of the rabbit hole or for a lot of people. And it was for me for sure. And I went from wholesaling into doing some flips and mm -hmm. some fur, you know, have some rentals and stuff like that. And uh, eventually I just kind of realized that wholesaling, flipping and, and burring properties to me was kind of like the, uh, uh, the rat race or the hamster wheel where you just have to do another yeah, I always yeah. call it the treadmill, you know, like it just keeps going and you got to keep going to keep going to keep going. But I like that you started in wholesaling because I think people sometimes underestimate the skills you learn in acquisitions because like that's the whole game. You want to be a flipper, learn to buy right. You want to be a buy and hold person, learn to buy right. You want to learn to do anything in real estate, you got to learn to buy right. So I think the guys who start in wholesaling or girls, you know, the people, all people, that start in real estate, if they can learn to acquire, they're going to have a much easier time in their real estate career as they grow up instead of skipping that step of learning to acquire. So you started wholesaling and then um, 
you got tired of the rat race or the treadmill and then what what brought you to the next piece of your your journey there well at some point i decided that multifamily was going to be the way out um so i know i wanted to get involved in syndications apartment mm -hmm. complexes mobile home parks storage centers just anything larger more units uh and you know, instead of owning all of a small property, owning a percentage of a larger property, maybe less work, just more mm -hmm. of a passive, you know, situation. So I started looking into multifamily and I uh, got in some masterminds and realized that multifamily is really a team sport. Yeah. And which is completely different than residential. Um, there's a lot of competition in your individual markets for residential. Yeah. All, although, Although multifamily is very competitive, it's easy to team up with people, you know, like-minded individuals that want to do deals that have different skill sets. And I kind of took that approach, you know, try to put together a team of people with different skill sets than I have and uh, different talents. And we, we take on different roles and we're, we're really trying to acquire a lot of real estate. All right. And so did you end up actually acquiring any uh, multifamily like apartments or anything like that? Are you still working on that or how did that go for you? So I really tried to get into some apartments and uh, I started looking at multifamily about two years ago. And mm -hmm. like everything else, they're just going to the moon. Cap rates were going down. Yeah. Prices were going up. Yeah. Uh and then interest rates popped and they're going crazy. So like every deal that I would underwrite, just there was no way to make it work. I could not personally, I have not been able to find a, a deal from a broker or a wholesaler on the multifamily side that just really penciled out where we could just purchase it, just syndicate it and purchase it without, you know, having to really get a major reduction. So during underwriting, it, it got to the point where, you know, if, if it wasn't within 10% or 20% of what we thought was possible, we didn't even send an offer because it was just way too high. Yeah. It's um, kind of turning into like a buy, hold and pray. People are having to bring money to the table on these things. Now, granted, you know, both of us sitting here going, yeah, at the end of the day in, in 10 years, like those buildings are going to be worth more and you just got to be able to hold on. So didn't get into any uh, like apartment deals. So what then, where did you go? You're like, okay, I'm, I got this team. I got things going. I know, the the game i know how to put together a team where did you take your talents then so we we started pushing into mobile home parks mm -hmm. um based on the premise of uh, affordable housing just not getting any better yeah um, it is definitely the most affordable form of unsubsidized housing in the united states um so you know for me I don't know how you're going to have a problem with vacancy on the most affordable living quarters possible. So that was a little bit of safety there. Yeah. And also, I know a lot of people don't understand those. They're a little bit harder to finance as well. So there yeah. are some major hurdles. And I figured if we could conquer a few of these major hurdles, we could potentially have a strategic advantage and purchase, purchase some parks. Yeah. Well, I, as far as, as far as my understanding, which is limited, they don't own, they don't own the units. They own the units. I guess it's a mix. So tell me, it's how does one evaluate a, a, a mobile home park, you know, just for the people at home and for me too, you know, I haven't ever had to sit down and done the numbers. So just the quick and dirty, how do I evaluate 
quick, uh, a mobile home park. Quick and dirty. So if if all of the homes are owned by the tenants and they're really just renting land, okay, mm-hmm. then it's going to be comparable to a cap rate on a multifamily building, okay? Maybe a slightly higher cap rate, but fairly comparable. If, so what are your responsibilities after if they don't if they own the building what are what are your responsibilities as like the i guess this is a true like landlord it's you're really just owning the land underneath yeah so units. it's going to be the infrastructure from like the paving or driveways uh any kind of rainwater you know sewer runoff the yeah. the septic systems or sewer systems the water taps the electrical taps uh, like those services, you know, services, you're essentially a little you know, city. Uh, maybe some landscaping and those sort of things. Okay. So you're not really dealing with the tenants and toilets inside. You're dealing with uh, the actual like services. So you're kind of like a little municipality almost. Kind of. So in some parks, they're 95% tenant owned. But then again, like we're currently buying a park that's 95% park owned homes. Hmm. So a lot of investors will shy away from deals that have park owned homes because they don't want to be landlords. Yeah. Which I, I understand. Uh, but at the same time, if you can get those at the right basis at the right price, then, you know, maybe it makes sense. So it just really depends on how much you're paying for the private property, the, the mobile home. So if I had to go in comparison to the land, so if you're getting the mobile homes very cheap, you know, with all the bricks and sticks and the numbers on the inside, what should someone expect to pay? If I just was like, I got cash, what, what is something like that cost? And then how do you guys do that creative finance we were talking about? So I think you're breaking up a little bit. Were you asking how to evaluate or how, how much you would pay for? Yeah. How much and how much space? Like the whole deal, like so how much? That's, yeah, so that's going to be relative to your area. So you might be in an area where the lot rent is $250 a month. Well, that lot's going to cost you less than if it's a park where the lot rent is $600 a month. So just like any other purchase or rental purchase, you have to figure your cash on cash return and how much return you're going to get based off your financing and stuff like that. So it's hard to say, hey, lots are worth 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, 30, 40, 50,000. It just really depends on a case by case situation. So what do you so see in a, a, a flat price? Yeah. What do you see on average for a cap rate that would be acceptable for someone who's just dabbling in that, David? So typically you're going to want your cap rate to be higher than your interest rate. Mm-hmm. or definitely not lower than your interest rate. So right now we're seeing eight and a half, nine percent 9%. So you're going to want your cap rate to be in that 9% or greater, mm-hmm. um, which you you are seeing these advertised in that seven, eight, nine, ten 10% cap rate. Sometimes you'll see them advertised end of year two cap rate, 10, 12%. You, you, you can't look at the pro forma. I mean, you can look at a pro forma, obviously, you mm-hmm. have to verify all the information. So I'm seeing them offered at six, seven, eight, nine percent today. And interest rates are in that eight and a half percent range. So it's it's comparable to the over, you know, the overarching interest rate that's going on, the environment right now. 
Okay, so that all being said, um, like we talked about at the top, you don't actually buy these things so much as you end up controlling those things. So how did you end up getting into, I mean, you took, we must have taken that multifamily kind of syndication mindset over to these mobile home parks. How are you putting those things together in kind of a bird's eye view? Because it's probably more complicated than the time we have today. But just give people like the Coles notes of how you're able to buy these things in some cases, um, no money down. Yeah. So you can syndicate a large mobile home park. I mean, it, you can syndicate it just like an apartment building, uh, general partners, limited partners. You can absolutely do that. And that was originally my mindset. And that's what helped me get over some of the fear of looking for bigger deals because I was confident in my network that we were able to raise a half million, a million, two million if needed on a large park. So I started looking at these bigger deals. Uh, I have not syndicated a mobile home park. I have done joint ventures with other operators and some investors uh, on a few deals, but three of the four of the last deals uh, that we've contracted have been seller finance or creative finance to the point where we have an infinite return. That means we're bringing zero down, but mm -hmm. we actually are getting a little bit of money back at closing. So it's, it's kind of infinite plus uh, 10% back at closing. So how does, so you end up, and when you say closing, you mean like in a year or two years after the terms uh, expire on the vendor financing or, or where are you getting that extra money? Like on no, closing? At closing when we purchase day one. Okay. So they're giving you a mortgage then you're getting vendor finance and you're getting like a, a profit on closing because you've negotiated such a deal with the owner. Uh, yes. Yeah, so a lot of times for a deal, deal structure like this, you're going to have two lenders, mm -hmm. sometimes three lenders. It depends. Uh, there's about three or four different strategies, but in the high level view is bank a will have a first position for whatever amount, let's call it 70% or let's call it 60%. Yeah. Okay. The seller has a position of 50%. So we have 110% financing at that point. Okay. Yeah. So that extra 10% in a nutshell comes back to us and we can use that for CapEx, fixing the roads. We could do septic repairs. We could buy a mobile home or two or three or four. So it like capital depends. improvement, you've got cash on closing by yeah. over lending on it. Because the seller's in agreement because they've got leverage. They've paid it down to a, a point where they can actually lend you a note on that thing. Correct. Correct. Nice. Nice. So when you got started in real estate, like, did you think you'd be doing what you're doing now? Uh, when I got started in real estate, I had no idea what in the world I was doing. So yeah, I, but... I, I tried everything. I wanted to learn everything. I want to learn everything about creative finance. I've done tons of creative finance deals on, on the residential side from master lease options, sandwich options, novations, wholesale deals, fix and flips, burr strategies, uh, all, all types of seller carry. The getting into the commercial space for me uh, was very scary. Moving into mm -hmm. larger, scarier deals here, you know, we're talking, you're signing on lots of debt. Um, but when you add that, seller carry or vendor carry back at a rate that is 
something like that, it balances out this 9% lending climate we're in. My seller's carrying about half. My bank's carrying about half. My bank's getting nine. My seller's getting two. So our blended rate is, you know, the rates people were paying four or five years ago. So we're able to use a time machine virtually, you know, in essence to, to purchase at a rate and quantity of properties much faster than what I'm seeing many other people, uh, at least in the mobile home space and the multifamily space. There are some teams, some masterminds that are like absolutely destroying, taking down lots and lots and lots of lots of deals. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're, they're few and far between. So with these types of strategies, if you know how to find a seller that's willing to negotiate a little bit, because maybe they have a lot of mobile homes that are rusty and maybe it doesn't look great or, mm -hmm. or maybe it needs landscaping or some road work. They know it's hard to finance because they've tried to sell this park and someone tried to buy it and it didn't go through. So, so that's the main reason that you're getting that 110% because you need that 10% against it to really make it worth anything. And they understand that because they're looking at yes. the rusty, the rusty buckets and going, yeah, I know it's not, she ain't too pretty, but there's money here. And you're like, yeah, if you're going to over lend on me, like if you're going to give me 110, um, through some creative finance and I love the, it's, you know, it's not the first part is always creative. And then the second word is finance and you do need to be very creative. And it's almost more important that you're finding, uh, vendors that are open to having the conversation because sometimes it's just over their head and that's you know yeah i think the main skill with creative finance yeah. is explaining to people how it works because if you don't even know as a person bringing the contract and you're just kind of like uh you know talk trying to talk your way into a creative finance deal you think if you're confused definitely the person you're trying to convince to do a creative finance deal is going to be confused. So uh, you definitely I, have to have that expertise. I absolutely agree. You have to keep it simple. A, a confused seller is, is not a seller. A confused buyer is not a buyer. Um, you, you can make it very simple. Hey, I'll pay you a million dollars. Will you take, you know, 25,000 a year until it's paid off? Okay. Well, that's, that's seller finance. And that's just like the most basic way you could, possibly look at something. So there are specific ways to approach the conversation. Um, typically in the commercial side, you will see a listing that says the seller will carry. Mm -hmm. Seller will carry on a, let's say a million dollar yeah. property, seller will carry a hundred thousand. Well, that doesn't really help us a lot, right? So no, we have we have the conversation. We see if they'll carry two or three or four. Or what if we give you more money instead of the million? Let's give you 1.1 and have you carry four or five. You yeah. Know, so, so like terms or price, you know, that's always been my motto when buying real estate. It's like you can either win the terms or the price. So you can't have both. So if you if you want a great terms deal you're probably going to have to give up the price. And if you don't want, if you don't want a great, you know, if you don't care too much for the terms, you're buying a flip or whatever, 30 days to close. It's all about price and give them all the terms. So in creative finances seems, and maybe you could speak to this for, for, you know, terms versus price. What's your opinion? Can you have both? Very rarely. 
very rarely you can have both. I mean, if, if, but if, if the price, if you're getting your price and you're getting your term, then your price was pretty good and your term was pretty good. So, you know, yes, we can do something where you pick the price and the term, but you have to be on planet earth. So mm -hmm. if you're on planet earth, we can maybe do something. If you're, if you're on the moon, well, I'm going to have to dictate how this money comes to you as far as, okay, maybe we're going to do a five-year balloon or, well, maybe it's going to take me longer to increase the value of this place to refinance out. So maybe a five-year balloon won't work. Maybe yeah. we could do this deal, but I need a 10-year balloon or I need an eight-year balloon because it's going to take me eight years to raise the rents to a value to where I can sell this property or I can refinance 70% of this property and clear my debt yeah, with it's you, still, and then, yeah, so I have nothing on. in the deal. Well, what's in what what I like uh, that you said there was that you have to dictate the terms typically when you're buying property. You know, if you're an acquisitions person out there, someone looking to put together deals, um, you better get good at leading that part of the negotiation. Because I almost feel like when there's no realtors involved, and sometimes there's realtors involved, but Typically, when you're dealing with the seller directly, there's probably not a realtor involved. And especially with creative financing, you better be both the realtor for him, the realtor for you, the closing person for you. You're helping them close their side. You're probably doing the paperwork. Like there's a lot of moving pieces and, you know, keeping that all in line so that it actually gets to a conclusion. Cause you can do a lot of talking when you're talking about term deals and do nothing like oh that sounds like a great deal send me the paperwork and i'll look it over and it's just like okay you know where is this going so uh let's talk about that in the future you know you've been you've been you know probably waist deep or neck deep in this real estate thing now with with what you're doing where do you see things going over the next three years i think the general climate's going to stay about the same i think interest rates are going to hover for a while um institutions will keep purchasing currently i don't think that's really going to slow down so single family yeah, homes i don't think are so stay either. expensive um on the commercial side i think prices are going to be flat for a little while if interest rates do drop let's say in three years they drop a good bit well values will go up in three years or if they drop really hard in five years values will go up in five years and if we purchase now, if you can purchase now while commercial rates are eight and a half percent, well, that value is going to be worth more if those rates go down to six and a half percent or five percent. I'm personally hoping and praying that interest rates don't go to 12, 13, 14, 15 percent. It would crush the economy, in my opinion. It would crush my business as well. Uh, but sounds I like another first, bailout wouldn't be the yeah first i think i think interest rates might go up just a hair and then they're going to start tapering down and uh we're going to really slingshot values are going to slingshot in my opinion so i really think the the, the prudent move is to purchase now if On you terms. can yes yeah because i'm finding a lot of times now uh it's not so much about the purchase but that you're purchasing rates from say two years ago three years ago they had a they got a mortgage five years ago or three years ago they got two more years and i think two more years at their interest rate might be enough to skip the the hurdle so 
I, I like to ask this question to guys who, you know, been, been in the game. What's the, you know, what's one piece of advice you give to someone who's just starting out? Link up with the team. Definitely either link up with the team or a partner or a mastermind. Uh, definitely get around people that are doing deals at a high level and do what they're doing. Pay for the groups, pay for the courses, do bigger deals, do more deals, get the experience under your belt. Because the more deals you do, the more deals you will be able to do. And if you're on the sidelines right now because of interest rates and prices and all of that, it's not going to get better. If, you, if you're not going to do it, then don't do it. If you're going to be a real estate investor, it's time to it's it's time to do something. So that's yeah, what I would it's, say. It's to always time. Yeah. yeah, it's always time to go. So, you know, time flies when we're having fun here. If people want to get a hold of you, uh, David, how do they find you on the Internet of Things? Uh, very easy. Just go to carolinacashflow.com. And my phone number is on there. Shoot me a text or I have a, a form where you can answer some questions and sell me your house or you could invest in Link up what with we're you, doing yeah. or whatever. We can get it. We can hold We can get a hold of David Jesse really easy. Well, I really appreciate you being on the show at a blast. And uh, yeah, until next time, guys, we'll see you on the next episode.